Pigeons feast on the carcasses of cigarette butts and scattered crumbs. Shoot away by the whining brakes and screaming horns of oncoming traffic. The traffic's oncoming, but the yellow cars with their rooftop advertisements for DUI lawyers and Broadway shows, they haven't moved a muscle. But muscles, bones, and ligaments bump as the school of fish-like people swim with the stream of the sidewalk's tide. Where the sidewalk ends and the street begins, the school of fish-like people stop until the red high five shines white with W-A-L-K. And so they walk past bubbling vats of hot dog water where the steam rises like it does from the sewers. Molecules of sewer steam float in the shadow of skyscrapers whose windows rise to stretch and scrape the belly of the sky. But with segmented scenes of the sky, it's easy to lose all sense of direction. North? South, east, west, west side bar and grill, home to the self-proclaimed world's best burger. (laughs) Its windows are all boarded up with three-quarter inch plywood. The wood grain veneer soaks in the aerosol spray from a rattle can, X, Y, Z. Is it artful expression or just plain old vandalism? Well, it matches the artful expression on the darkened subway window and on the toilet seat of the 7-Eleven on West 37th Street. So who knows? Maybe the man with the ratty clothes and shopping cart knows. After all, this concrete jungle is his home. His home where now I lay me down to sleep beside the dumpsters, beneath the fire escapes that climb like spiders up the red brick walls. Where inside these red brick walls and up from the street, the well-to-do or just scraping by, sit down to eat, sleep, repeat. And it goes like this every day. The noise, the hustle, the bustle, the business and busyness, the sleepless nights and search for meaning in it all. Welcome to the city. Welcome to the church, which today we will find out is the city. The Radiant City. Today we continue our church clarified sermon series. It's like we're in high school in a biology or chemistry class. 
where these 16-year-olds, pyromaniacs, they can't keep their grubby paws off the Bunsen burners. And the kid wearing the periodic Table of the Elements t-shirt is everybody's hero on test day. And I'm worried that I might have some sort of serial killer predisposition because I'm fascinated at the opportunity to dissect a formaldehyde frog. But no, no, no. Today we are learning about the parts to the microscope. What fun. The stage, the ocular, the base, the condenser, the diaphragm, and of course, the objectives. You give it a turn. Four times magnification. Ten times magnification. Forty times magnification. And boom, that DNA sample off the toilet seat of 7-Eleven on West 37th Street is teeming with life. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's what we're doing with the church. I heard that's disgusting. Don't whisper that. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out. Was that you? Oh, man. It's disgusting. That's what we're doing with Church Clarified. We're taking a closer look at things. At the increase of magnification, we see the church clarified, and sometimes it might look disgusting. Because we realize, you know what? This is more than a Sunday service. It's more than a few songs and some Bible stuff. It's the nonstop, can't be stopped kingdom of God. It's the bride, the body. Was that a clap or no? Are you guys going to stop right there? Or, uh... Like two claps. That's not clapping. You guys are starting off on the right foot. That's disgusting. It's the bride, the body, the army, the hospital, the flock, the family. And today we'll find out it's the radiant city. But it's a shame when I think about that. It's a shame that we actually have to increase magnification four times, ten times, forty times to actually see the purpose of the church. So it's my prayer that during this sermon series, you and I would begin to see our purpose as the church. So welcome to church. Welcome to the city, the radiant city. If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read from our memory verse for this sermon series, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. It says, and he has put all things under his feet. That means God is victorious. And has made him, that is Jesus, the head over all things for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And God, we thank you that you do fill all in all. That you have great purpose for our lives. As the church, we are called to a higher standard. We're called to great and wonderful, mighty things Help us to be faithful to carry those things out. Lord, I pray that you don't have to increase magnification when you look upon your church, but you can see that we as your people are doing what you've asked us to do, to be the church. So 
If we focus our attention on you, Lord, our hearts and minds are ready for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Muscles, bones, and ligaments bump as the school of fish-like people swim with the stream of the dirt road's tide. The crowds follow, and up he climbs. A mountain, they say, but at its highest point, it only stands some 509 feet above the surface of the lake. But it's here on this 509-foot mountain on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus sits down and his disciples come to him. There they mingle in the field with the breeze swaying the tall grass like the ocean's quiet currents. Some shield their eyes as the sun cuts through the Neptune sky and bounces off the surface of the lake. And he opens his mouth to speak, telling the school of fish-like people some strange things that if they're poor in spirit, if they mourn, if they're meek, if they're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, if they're merciful, if they're peacemakers, if they're persecuted for righteousness, if they're insulted because of him, they're blessed. Then he continues by describing his followers, his disciples. I would dare to say the church. He says of them, you are the sodium chloride of the earth. The ionic compound NaCl, the flavoring, cleansing, preserving of our world. You are the salt. That's who you are. So be salty. Some of you already are. You get it. Disgusting. And as he continues in Matthew 5, 14a, he speaks to his followers, his disciples, I would dare to say, the church, saying this, you are the light of the world. But wait a sec, I thought like you were the light of the world, Jesus. I mean, that's how you talked about yourself in John chapter 8, verse 12. You said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And uh, Jesus, you kind of said the same thing in John 9, 5, and indirectly about yourself, too, in 11, 9 and 12, 35. Well, yeah. But here it's what Jesus calls his followers, his disciples, the church. You are the light of the world, glowing Gleaming, shining, radiant. Okay. I guess. I mean, like, sure. I could try to be glowing. I could try to be gleaming and shining and stuff. But no, 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 no. Do you catch what Jesus is actually saying here? I'll read it real slow so we understand it. You are 
the light of the world. Not, you should act like the light of the world. Not, you could possibly be the light of the world. Not, you must try to become the light of the world. No, you are the light of the world. Vats of hot dog water are vats of hot dog water. Red brick walls are red brick walls. Fire escapes are fire escapes. And you are the light of the world. According to Jesus, by definition, you who are his followers, his disciples, the church, you are the light of the world because Jesus has called you to be light and you cannot be otherwise. It's the truth of your entire existence. Just as vats of hot dog water are vats of hot dog water, you are the light of the world. You can't try to become the light of the world because no, you already are because Jesus said so. As his followers, as his disciples, as the church, you are the light of the world. But it's not your teaching or preaching or gifts or music or or money or abilities or skills or talents. It's plain old you. It's you because Jesus said so. And because of what he's done and because of what he's said, you and I and we collectively as the church can wake up each morning, look ourselves in the mirror and say, I am the light of the world. Because of what Jesus has done and because he said so, I am the light of the world. So darkness, be gone. Trials, I can face you. Difficulty, you've got nothing on me. It's not a matter of achievement or self-exertion that you are the light of the world. It's because Jesus said so. It's who you are. It's what you are intrinsically because Jesus said so. Just as vats of hot dog water are vats of hot dog water, you are the light of the world because Jesus said so. Kind of sucks if you were planning on keeping a low profile. You know, laying low and posting up as a wallflower. I mean, you are the light of the world, the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Good luck keeping a low profile. Good luck laying low and posting up as a wallflower. You might be thinking, man, Jesus, you could have picked anything. Why'd you pick light? I mean, you could have picked the, hey, you are the grizzly bears of the world. Yeah, top of the food chain, nice fur coat, five to seven months of hibernation per year. Come on, second service. I know you would enjoy that. Or how about you are the coffee of the world. Everybody loves you. Everybody needs you. They're addicted to you. You know, they can't live without you. If they do, they're just bitter about it. I'll let you catch up. 
Or, or how about one more? You are the sunsets of the world. Oh, man. Everybody's just going about their day. Sun is going down, and boom, there you are. Beautiful, breathtaking. People stop and stare at your beauty. They post pictures of you all over the internet. Can you get a load of this? They are beautiful. No, no, you're the light of the world. And you can't get much more visible than light. It's the the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Glowing, gleaming, shining, and radiant. We're not called to be the grizzly bears or coffee or the sunsets of the world, but the light. Because we are a visible community whose love for Jesus and love for others is visible in action. So visible, it's like light out of darkness. Do you know why we can't be private and low-key about being the light of the world? It's because you could also translate that you are the light for the world. The world needs us, whether it knows it or not. Matthew 5, 14 in its entirety says, You are the light of or for the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. It can be seen for miles away. You know, 33 feet above sea level isn't much of a hill. But as I sat in the back of a yellow car, the kind with a rooftop advertisement for DUI lawyers or Broadway shows, I remember seeing the unable-to-be-hidden Manhattan skyline. Skyscrapers whose windows stretch to scrape the belly of the sky. I heard the whining brakes and screaming horns of oncoming traffic. I smelled the bubbling vats of hot dog water. And there we sat on some bridge in New York City. We hadn't moved a muscle, that was plain to see, but everything about the city was unable to be hidden. A city on top of a hill, even if it's just 33 feet above sea level, it can't be hidden. It can be seen from miles away. So too, the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, the church can't be hidden. It's a visible community, the radiant city. And it's not that the followers of Jesus and disciples of Jesus and the church must make a decision to be a radiant city. It's what we are or aren't. If we aren't, that is, if we are not a radiant city, if we've made the decision to be something other than what we are and hide ourselves, we've made a decision to stop following him. We've decided to stop discipleship. We've stopped being the church. But that's disgusting. 
We are a visible community whose love for Jesus and others is visible in action, so visible it's like a city on top of a hill. But maybe the molecules of sewer water, which is just water vapor after all, isn't your thing. Maybe the man with the ratty clothes and shopping cart isn't your thing. Maybe the artful expression on the darkened subway window or on the toilet seat of the 7-Eleven on West 37th Street isn't your thing. Maybe the city isn't your thing. Instead, maybe you wish it were a quaint Joanna Gaines-inspired cottage on top of a hill. Maybe you wish it were an exclusive, members-only, private country club on top of a hill. Maybe you wish it were a Make America Great Again, Don't Tread on Me, NRA Locked and Loaded Log Cabin on top of a hill. Maybe you wish it were a LGBTQIA rainbow flag draped march for social issues on top of a hill. But the city on top of a hill that can't be hidden is a city. Boom, mind blown, right? So deep, so insightful. The city on top of a hill is a city? It's not a cottage or a country club or a log cabin or a march for social issues. It's a city. This is a city because a city is for everyone from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from all circumstances. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you're whole or broken or a sinner or a saint. What matters is that our love for Jesus and others is visible in action. What matters is that we are the radiance city, the light of the world, a city on top of a hill that can't be hidden. What matters is that we, as the radiant city, we love God and we love others because we believe you can't do one without the other. What matters is that Jesus calls it a city, a place where not everyone is like you, where ideas and lifestyles clash. And it's not that we're compromising in our faith or we have minds that are so open that our minds fall out and roll down the sidewalk streets of this city on top of a hill. What matters is the intentional, deliberate act of loving people where they're at for who they are and who they could be. And you can't tell me that it won't work because it's what God did with me. It's what God did with me. It's what he did with you and you and you. Not you, but you, and you, and you. This is what we are, church. This is who we are. You are the light of the world, a city on top of a hill that can't be hidden. So we're glowing and gleaming and shining and radiant as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, as the church that can't be hidden. Matthew 5, 14 Through 15a says, you are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. That would be rather counterintuitive, 
you know, run up your electricity bill while you sit in the dark for no good reason? I mean, who does that? Let's talk about lighten it up. In the first century context, lamps were small, enclosed, round or oval-shaped clay containers with a circular hole at the top for pouring in oil. And it had a a spout-like place on one side where you would insert a wick. Now, the lamps were used to illuminate dark rooms. (laughs) No kidding, right? And to light the way outdoors. But throughout the New Testament, lamps were symbolic of light and life, faith, righteousness, truth, and good works. Here, Jesus encourages his followers, his disciples, the church, not to hide, not to hide their light. People don't do that, after all. They don't light it up and then put it under a a modius, is what the Greek is here, what our passage would translate as basket. But modius refers to any type of two-gallon capacity for dry material, type of basket or box or bowl, any one of those containers. And as any grubby pod 16-year-old pyromaniac will tell you, You put a non-porous bowl over that lamp, and it's going out. It's exactly what happens when we, as the church, the radiant city, try to hide who we are. We extinguish ourselves. Maybe it's fear or embarrassment that causes us to hide who we are. Maybe it's conformity to the world. Maybe it's unbelief or, better yet, religiosity. But the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, the church who is the radiant city, they do something different. Matthew 5, 15b says, Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. They don't light it up and put it under a basket or a box or a bowl. They, they put it on a menorah in, in Hebrew or, or in, in Greek, a luknia. They put it on high, on a lampstand. Let's talk about lighting it up again. When lamplight was needed above ground level, ceramic stands were sometimes used to hold lamps. A single golden menorah was placed in the tabernacle, and in the Jerusalem temple there were ten menorahs to to illuminate the place. But lamps in ordinary homes, they would have been elevated, stone niches in the wall because, well, childproofing. If you got kids, you're not going to have lamps burning on the ground. I mean... I think about Zeke, our uh, 19-month-year-old daredevil. He uh, learned a new word recently, and it's the word hot. He only has a very limited vocabulary, you know, Greek, Hebrew, Spanish, uh, French, and Russian. But uh, one one of his main words now is hot. And he doesn't understand the danger associated with hot because he'll take both knobs in each hand and begin to spin them back and forth, uh, filling our house with the fumes of gas and uh, saying hot, hot, hot. But he also thinks the fridge is hot. He also thinks the, the dishwasher is hot. And yesterday we were swimming at the pool and he thought that was hot as well. So for, for baby proofing in the first century, lamps were elevated placed and carved out niches in the stone walls. 
And there, elevated and baby-proof, the lamp can adequately shine on all who are in the house. It's interesting that the lamp's job is not to shine on itself, but to shine light on all who are in the house. I think that says something about our identity as followers, disciples, as the church, the radiant city. Becomes rather clarified in the next verse as Jesus sums it up. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. You be who you are. The light of the world, letting your light shine. Not so that people can see you, but so that they can see the good things you do. It's not because you're showy or glowing or or gleaming or shining or, or radiant with pride. But it's because you're blessed. Blessed with those blessings that Jesus mentioned earlier. You're poor in spirit, mournful and meek, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful and makers of peace, persecuted for righteousness, and insulted because of Jesus. But it's all worth the while because you know that yours is the kingdom of heaven and you will be comforted. And you will inherit the earth. And you will be satisfied and shown mercy. You will see God. You will be called the children of God. And you can rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. You let your light shine. Not for the sake of your own glory and honor and praise. But because you're blessed and you will be blessed. You let your light shine because it's who you are and it would be absurd to do otherwise. What are you going to do? Hide it? Put it under a basket or a box or a bowl? Not a chance. You let your light shine by acts of service because it actually doesn't feel like service. It feels like purpose. It feels like the outpouring of love. It feels like who you really truly are. You let your light shine so that the eyes of the world would be illuminated to see the good and to praise God. That's what we do as the church. That's what we do as the radiant city. Maybe you came here today because you're feeling lost. Far from the feeling of home. That man, we're not in Kansas anymore. Maybe the circumstances have ripped through the stability of your life like a tumultuous tornado. Maybe you've lost the brains and wherewithal and mental capacity to navigate your way through the collapse of things. Maybe you haven't got the heart to make it much further. Or maybe it's broken and heavy and you're stuck at every joint. Maybe you've lost all courage and the fire inside has diminished to a flicker. You're like a lion who's lost its roar. 
Maybe it's all you can do to put one foot in front of the other. And whether each foot is glowing, gleaming, shining, radiant, with ruby red slippers, or whether they're porous, you've followed some yellow brick road to some radiant city, emerald in its glow. And at first glance, it might all look like smoke and mirrors and a man with a microphone. But you're here. We're here. And we've got a job to do. To be us, who Jesus has called us to be. I'm here to tell you that despite the circumstances of your life, and even in the very eye of tumultuous tornadoes, the God who has called you the light of the world is here. And in him are all the treasures of wisdom and things to be known the wherewithal and mental capacity and brains to be had. In him, hearts of stone are replaced by hearts of flesh, renewed and created clean. In him is the very foundation of strength and courage that leaves us unafraid and undismayed precisely because he is with us. In him we are home in this radiant city, in this church. It's the church where not everyone is like you, where ideas and lifestyles clash. But what matters is that our love for Jesus and our love for others is visible in action. We're not hiding it under a basket or a box or a bowl. We're not hiding it under fear or conformity or religiosity. No, we put it up on a menorah or on a baby-proofed carved-out niche in the stone wall so it shines on all because we love God and we love people and we believe you can't do one without the other. We're caught up in the intentional, deliberate act of loving people where they're at for who they are and who they could be because we are the light of the world, letting our light shine by acts of service that don't actually feel like service. It just feels like purpose. It feels like the outpouring of love. It feels like who we really, truly are. Just as vats of hot dog water are vats of hot dog water. Just as red brick walls are red brick walls and fire escapes are fire escapes. We are the light of the world. And we didn't come along yellow brick roads to see smoke and mirrors and a man with a microphone. We didn't come to visit a quaint Joanna Gaines-inspired cottage. We didn't come to gain access to an exclusive members-only private country club. We came to shine light in the darkness, not to lay low or post up like wallflowers. We came because the kingdom of heaven is ours, and we will be comforted, and we will inherit the earth, and we will be satisfied and shown mercy, and we will see God, and we will be called the children of God. So we rejoice and are glad.
only made possible because we are poor in spirit, mournful and meek, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful and makers of peace. We're persecuted for righteousness and insulted because of Jesus, the same Jesus who he himself is the light of the world. And yet he's dared to call us as his followers, his disciples, the church, the same, the light of the world. It's a calling and an identity we intrinsically bear only because he made it so. The very son of God laid down his life. And it's more than some artful expression it's more than some passing story like molecules of sewer steam suspended for a moment. It's the very foundation of the hill we're learning to die on, whether it's 509 or 33 feet. That's the reason we're here. That's the reason we came. Because the light of life could not dwell in darkness. The darkness couldn't stand it. The grave couldn't contain it. After all, this is resurrection power we're dealing with. Glowing, gleaming, shining. It's what causes us to be radiant. It's what causes us to be radiant. And that's why we came for more than a Sunday service. That's why we came for more than a few songs and some Bible stuff. We came because we are the non-stop, can't-be-stopped kingdom of God. And we are here to increase magnification on Jesus four times, 10 times, 40 times so that the world can see the good and praise God because he is forever worthy and his fame is far above skyscrapers whose windows stretch to scrape the belly of the sky. We came for great purpose to receive the wherewithal and mental capacity and brains to be had. We came to have hearts of stone removed and replaced by hearts of flesh. We came to build our lives on the very foundation of strength and courage. We came to be the kind of people who when they wake up in the morning and their feet hit the floor, the devil says, oh, shh, they're up. Thank you.